Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Matt Mitchell, the running editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. All right, so my guest this week is Victor Diaz, the founder of Renegade Running, which is a run specialty store located in the heart of Oakland, California, that's far more than just a retail space to buy shoes. While it definitely is that, with a smartly curated selection of boutique brands on hand and a voguish aesthetic of its own, Renegade's core mission is to create an inclusive space for community members to express themselves, ask questions, learn, and ultimately advance the sport of running by making it more equitable. Victor and I cover a lot of important topics in this conversation, including how his background in public education helped inform Renegade's identity, why we need more run specialty stores owned by people of color, what we as a community can do to improve trail running's lack of representation, and a whole lot more. I also just want to say that if you're enjoying listening to these conversations I've been having on this show and find yourself wanting to get more into trail running, I'd encourage you to sign up for a Blister membership so you can send us an email and get my personal recommendations to help you find the right pair of running shoes. Check out the link in the show notes for more info on that, as well as all the other benefits becoming a Blister member gets you. Okay, let's get right into my chat with Victor. Victor, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate being here, Matt. Thank you. Yeah, I think a good place to start um, is talking a bit about Renegade Running. What is it? Where is it? And how did it come to be? Renegade Running is a run specialty store in Oakland, California, and pretty close to downtown Oakland, near Grand and Broadway, closer to Lake Merritt in uh, Oakland, California. We opened uh, June 2020. Pre-pandemic is when this whole project started. I signed the lease uh, December pre-pandemic and got running, got rolling, thinking we're going to get open in March. We wanted to open um, in conjunction with the Oakland Marathon, which is like third week in March. So that was the goal. Um, And of course, COVID hit. We got delayed and eventually opened in June. Um, So we're a run specialty store that was built with the premise of having a physical space that would serve the community, a space that folks that run, that are curious about running, that have been an elite athlete, that have run, you know, one 5K or multiple marathons, anyone and everyone, we wanted to have a physical space where we can house them, host them, support them. Um, Yeah, that's kind of the the nature of... uh, the be- early beginnings of Renegade Running. Can you kind of like characterize Oakland's running scene from your perspective? Sure. There's, um, this is a super generalization, but I would say there's like four distinct buckets. Um, there's definitely an old school running community. There's a running club back before they were called Running Crews called the Lake Merritt Joggers and Striders. I think by the name, it sort of captures like these folks have been around for a while. Um, I shouldn't laugh because I'm in I'm of the age group that everyone else is in this thing. And that's it. That's in Lake Merritt Joggers and Striders. Um, So there's that community. They've been around Oakland for a long time. They're probably second, third generation Oakland residents. Um, They remember the city back when, you know, fill in the blank. Um, so there's a, they have a lot of rich history. They still meet and put on races in Oakland. 
Um, and they're actually a great source of knowledge. I mean, they're they're definitely like a, a good solid group of folks that support a lot of different communities here and have been around for a really long time. So that's like one group. Um, there's kind of like the new like transplants, mostly a lot of them from San Francisco, actually, and even maybe a little bit, uh, some from LA and some from Marin. These are the new folks that I would put into this, like, I'm not in a bucket, bucket people. Like I run, but I don't run. I do triathlons, but I don't do triathlons. I gravel ride, but I don't gravel ride. Um, you know, they do it all kind of a thing, kind of a group. Um, and they're great. And I, do, I don't say that with any kind of sarcasm. They're actually really, um, it's an exciting new group. It's a burgeoning group. And it's a group that I like that they are not sort of bound by an old school way of thinking. Like, I'm just a runner. I'm just a triathlete. So they're like a pretty formidable group. We see them and they come in like they might ride their gravel bike to the shop. They're buying trail shoes. And then they're going like on a, you know, four day hike in Yosemite or something, you know? So that's a, that's the second group. The third group is this like pretty fast, pretty competitive. They belong to a fast running club in Oakland or in the greater Bay Area. Um, they're trying to qualify for Boston. They're running all the major marathons in the area. And then many of them are running the major marathons across the country. And then I would say, sadly, um, that there's also a large group of folks of color that are between like 25 and maybe 45 that don't really feel like they fit into any one of those three previous groups. They may run with like-minded folks, um, either by race and or by gender or by some, you know, po politics or something else that binds them. And, and that group is growing excitingly. You walk around the lake or you run around the lake and you see the beautiful thing about Lake Merritt is it is one of the absolute most diverse places I've ever been to. And you'll see this group. It's a formidable group. And some might even say they're more than like 25% of the groups, you know, compared to the other groups. So it's a, it's not a burgeoning group. They've been here for quite some time, but they're, they're definitely increasing in numbers. So those are largely the, the, the different pockets of, of people, um, that are running and active in Oakland. What is Renegade's role in like servicing that community? Um, I noticed that like at the top of this episode, that's kind of how you um, kind of like what you provided as, as Renegade's like mission statement. I find that interesting as like a run specialty store, not to be like, oh no, we sell shoes. It's like, no, we're really trying to be kind of this like, you know, community hub. And I'm wondering like how you go about um, designing that. So, I, I, I'm a much older, you know, like new running store business owner. Um, so I'm lucky enough to be new to run specialty as an owner. So there's some naivete and, and some ignorance that brings me to the, the space. But I also have a long history of you know, being a competitive runner, competitive triathlete and cyclist. And so I've been to a lot of great running stores across the country and many of them down, down in San Diego, in LA, in the Bay Area. Um, and many of them, I think, embodied an ethos that was centered on or centered around this old school runner, like where you ran, the more you ran, the more you were recognized in the running world. The more you raced, 
the more you were recognized, the more acclaim you had, i.e. how many Boston marathons you've run, how many races, how many, how, how, how high you placed in your age group. That was like a common, you know, I did this race and I was 18th in my age group. Like people always like preceded things with that, with like their data, you know, back in the day. And running stores really locked into that, you know, and were constantly thinking, how do we reach and support that runner that, you know, who fits this physical, maybe racial and definitely experience, you know, resume kind of runner. And so many of the running stores were built, uh, um, uh, you know, under that guise, right? I never felt comfortable in that space. A lot of folks that I ran in race with and very, very fast people never felt comfortable in that space. And um, I think that, you know, cycling and and to some extent, maybe even triathlon was were, were becoming newer entities in our community. So, you know, true, when I ran, it was like we seemed like we were on a whole other planet. You know, people kind of made fun of us that we would like walk around in our polyester or nylon split shorts and go get coffee and sort of gross everybody out, you know, kind of that generation. And then cycling came along and made everything cool and people were riding in big groups together. So people started looking and thinking, well, runners historically ran alone or maybe with one other person, but why, why are there like 15 guys riding a bike together, you know? So people started having a different discussion about how might we form groups and community. So that really influenced um, a lot of what Renegade um, uh, like was going to shape up to be. And I had a whole other previous life in public education. I grew up as a Mexican kid in San Jose and you, you didn't do either of those things without like 50 people involved, you know, like you, you needed that either just to get through your day or that's just how we grew up, you know, with like a, a lot of different people giving, giving, uh, you know, giving their uh, opinions about something or, or looking after you or something. So Renegade Running was really built on that, on that, on that notion that if we're going to create a space for more people, for people that have lived different experiences, for people that want to enjoy running that have nothing to do with how they place and what races they've run, then we were going to have to create a different culture, a different climate. Um, and that, that was sort of the early groundwork for, for how we were going to design, how I was going to design this shop. Can we talk a little bit more about your background? Because I do think that is like a pretty integral part in what Renegade has become. Yeah. Um, I don't want to say, I don't want to like sensationalize like, you know, my childhood and some of those kinds of things. And that's already been said in other spaces. Um, but I, I will say that like for many people, you know, running may had a big role in like influencing my direction in the world. Right. And it definitely saved me. I guess that's kind of a dramatic statement, but it, it certainly did. Right. Like it took me out of, a out of um, what was expected for me in life, which were low expectations and definitely put me in some other places. Um, but more than that, I um, a lot of what I haven't talked about that much or, and what really influences what we do here is that I worked in public education for a really long time. And I worked with kids in communities that were really underserved, under-resourced. And there is just no way you can work even with even in more middle-class and affluent communities, it's, it's really impossible to work with kids and not ask yourself, 
where are all the resources and how can I get them into my classroom? So I think one that works with kids and families efficaciously has to think, I need more tools in my tool belt. I need more partners to get through the day, the week, the year. So I came with a lot of experience in that, in operating that way. So as soon as I started thinking about a, a running store, I didn't think about partners in the sole silo of running. Because similarly, you can't think about working with kids just like, oh, I need a curriculum specialist or I need somebody that give me feedback on my teaching. No, you need like somebody to help with like getting food for your kids so they can eat in the evenings or on the weekends. You need mental health and counselors that are not on the ground. So where's that connection? I need somebody to help train this parent of a family who's looking for a job but needs help with their resume or training. So you're looking out of the traditional paradigm as an educator. And so I brought that sort of nuanced thinking to the store, i.e. I don't need another like tech rep to tell me to come and say, you know, I want to do a demo run and talk to your running community about the tech specs of the new blank shoe, right? Um, so I started just like, like, who are some great people that inspire me? Who are, who are some communities that are not traditionally associated with running and running stores that I just, I just like admire and love and, and, and want to learn from and want to be exposed to and want to bring into the space. And I want them to feel like this space is just as much their space as anyone else's. And so I started just like reaching out to people or as people came in, started having those conversations. Um, and just by the way of example, like the very first partner collaboration that a gentleman came in, he drew, he, he rode his bike by, he had been riding his bike by the store a couple of times I had seen him. He walked in and said, what are those yellow shoes up there and what are they for? And it was a, a New Balance trail shoe, the, the hero. And I said, um, yeah, that's a trail shoe, but I also think it looks kind of cool. I don't even... Those earlier versions, I don't even think were that runnable, honestly. And so he's like, man, that's a cool looking shoe. And it, it was yellow. It was bright. He's like, I like it. Can you order this for me? He was a size like 14, I think. So I got on the shoe and it was a great place for us to just start talking. I'd come to find out that he was, um, an, he, that he was an African-American male producing a periodical that he was telling me is he that is the only one of its kind, right? To be an African American male producing this periodical that captured the goings on in his community and printed out this really beautiful publication. He brought one to show me, and it was just so remarkable and gorgeous. Like, um, it's called Umber Magazine, and I was just like, wow, this is like a beautiful magazine. It looks amazing. The stories you're capturing are incredible. And I just threw out this wild idea. I said, hey man, let's do a book really a magazine release party for you here in the shop. And so we did that and it was like a great way to bring our communities together. And so I continue to look for partnerships like that. Um, a more recent example um, is one of my former students was walking by this, the building the other day. This was just a couple days ago. And he came in to tell me, he was a student of mine. And he was kind of, he was not a very, he was a kid who kind of got in a little bit of trouble when he was in school, but he had come in to tell me that he had gotten his life back on track and he had a daughter who was in third grade and, and he was a classroom teacher at her school. So that in of itself was like a great story. And I was like, dude, that's fucking awesome. That's amazing. And he's like, yeah, I'm teaching art. And I was like, wow, man, that's really incredible. 
And so he's telling me about his kids and he's showing me their work and he's showing me his artwork. And I said to him, um, let's do an art show for your seventh graders. Like we're going to turn the space over and you have them produce something that we can hang on the walls and we'll do an art opening for them. We'll have a reception and we'll do all this stuff to like welcome them in as artists and, and have them in the community. So he was like super blown away. He's like, yeah, like you sure, like you sure you want to do that? It's like, yeah, hell yeah. Like, I'm not even thinking about running in those moments, right? Like, I'm just thinking, like, how amazing, how uplifting will the space be to have the artwork of seventh graders on our walls? Like, come on, man. That's like an amazing gift, right? And so, anyway, I'm always searching for things like that. I feel lucky and blessed to, that folks like that even want to work with us, really, quite frankly, you know? And I think that it brings a different energy to our space that you know i think that any retail store at frankly you know to say nothing for a run specialty shop but anyway that's that that's like a big part of the work we're doing here yeah and how has that like progressed since you started i'm just i'm curious because you started essentially like during the pandemic right was that kind of like a, a really a fallow period for you it was tough during the pandemic, of course, because, you know, our very first our very first sweatshirts we made said run together on them. So I already <laughs> had them in boxes. And of course, every message from the CDC was like, don't be anywhere near everyone, social distancing. So it was, you know, it was kind of funny. Um, but, you know, we we have since worked through a lot of that and and we're able to now um, approach our community with 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 fewer bumpers for sure you know talking about like merchandising i know renegade has some really really interesting brands that um i would i guess consider like boutique that kind of like aren't like really run of the mill um how do you go about work like deciding what brands to work with and like how does how you curate what you guys have on yourselves like reflect your desired audience yeah so i i i love Thank you for asking me about the curation of the store because I it's something that I I take great pride in and spend a lot of time thinking about and researching and 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 I'm just now starting to speak about it and like what that means. So, you know, this is going to sound kind of like a rough draft still because um, a lot of it's just been really in my heart. Like it's just been something that I'm super, super passionate about and haven't articulated it that well. But I, I would kind of phrase it this way. I, I'll give you, I'll tell you just a really quick short story. When I had my schools, I served 90% of my kids qualified for free and reduced lunch. And I didn't even know who the kids were that I was going to serve. I started some charter schools and I didn't, before I started them, I started building the, the, the space out. And I found these chairs that Steelcase makes and Steelcase makes furniture for colleges and universities. And they make these really expensive desks that are just super cool and beautiful and and they function and that allows kids to assemble and disassemble really quickly for like project-based learning classrooms. And so I was like, oh my God, I have these, I have to have these chairs in my classrooms. And everyone was like, this chair is like four times the amount of money that anyone spends on classroom furniture for a public school. And I was like, I don't care. Like the kids that are going to walk into this building, they fucking deserve it. Like they deserve that experience. I want them to feel like college students. I want them to feel like there are no boundaries to how they interact with other classmates 
right? So there was a lot of deep thought put into it, and I wasn't bound by, you know, the parameters that school and school financing puts on a person. I probably should have been in hindsight, but for this particular item, I was like, this is the experience I want our kids to have. And, you know, I, I think I do the same thing with, with the, the partners that I bring in and the merchandise I bring in. I'm, we're getting better at finding smaller and smaller niche brands and people out there. You know, Nick Marti at Norda, um, Christian, who makes um, near-earth socks, Ken, who, Ken Kata, who makes, um, who makes um, Tanuki. These folks are crazy passionate about the thing they're making. And they, they would tear off their own skin if it meant like lessening the quality, changing their purpose, um, you know, take moving away from their principles, you know. So I feel like if they are that passionate about it, which you can see in the in the artifact when you have it in your hand when you run in it, you're like, oh yeah, that Norda shoe, it's worth two eighty five. Like it's insane, and you know that every detail was meticulously thought right? Same thing with Ken Kato and Tanuki. Everything that you can see, you can feel their heart and soul into it, right? So then I take a step back and I think, do I want to bring in shoe brand X's $40 short, or do I want to bring in this, you know, box t-shirt that, you know, that the designer spent countless hours late at night thinking I'm going to create the most unique thing because I know Matt is out there running on a trail and would appreciate the detail, the nuances, the shape, the cut, the fit, the color, those little details that he will appreciate it in a way that I'm thinking about it right now. The passions will match each other. And so when I find brands like that, I'm just like, oh man, they have to be in this space, you know? So that's a lot of the thinking, man. As I when I when I meet the folks who are designing these products, and the first like five seconds, I'm like, oh my god, Nick is a you know Nick Marti is a genius, and what they're making is is just amazing, you know. And what it does, it it also helps us tell their story in the space. And when I give something to a customer, I'm not BSing them. I'm not I, I'm not trying to just like make a sale. It's not transactional, you know. I'm really, I really want them to experience the transformation that that goes along with, you know, the experience that the designer had in creating that thing. That's the experience I want to bring to our community, which I think feels way better than where can I find the cheapest short, the cheapest trail shoe, you know, or the thing, the same black short that everybody's making, you know. Yeah, I think. What comes to mind for me is you and your store were like one of the first brick and mortar stores to carry like satisfy. And I remember like looking at some of the prices and I scoffed, but then I, uh, I I got my hands on a pair of their shorts and you're completely right. Like every detail is so thought out. It just like elevates the entire experience every time I wear them. Um, and I was immediately justified them. Uh, and I think that's like something that it's difficult to communicate, right? Yeah, the only asterisk I would put, and this is, I mean, and maybe it is about Satisfy specifically, but but just more generally, is the thing that I am conscientious of, and sometimes I am in a in a position where 
somebody does walk into the store and they see the price of something and they're like, wow, this, this isn't for me. The store isn't for me or that product isn't for me. And so, you know, I have to be aware of that. And it's true. There, there are, there are a lot of people struggling right now. There are a lot of people who would love to have the opportunity to wear, you know, the short or the trail shoe, you know, or something that's, that's so specialized like that. So that, that, I just want to say that isn't lost on me either. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just looking for something that's driven by price or by some esoteric thing, you know, it, it's, for me, it's not just an exercise in like how, how cool and, and separate we can be with our design or price or aesthetic, you know, um, in fact, it's the opposite of that, you know, like I think Norda is a really good example where I, I don't believe Nick said, I need to make a shoe as close to $300 as possible. And that's my starting point, you know? Um, so that's, that's, I'm not interested in that either. Yeah. So I think that's a, that's an important tension for sure. Um, it's an important tension and one that I'm really, um, conscientious of. I want to move into a conversation about, I guess, representation and running. It's something that we talked a little bit about, uh, before we started recording yesterday. Um, clearly our sport has issues when it comes to being equitable. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on like how to make running and trail running in particular more inclusive. So this is so. Thank you for asking me, Matt, about about representation in in the running world. And you know, again, this was a a big big part of my work in my life outside pre pre um, run specialty. Um, I would often my my I I had as an absolute goal in my class in my school buildings that I was responsible for as a school principal to have a teaching staff and a leadership staff that reflected the communities that we served. And I always did that, always. There was never, ever a time where my teaching staff did not reflect. They were 90% folks of color. My leadership was always people of color. One of the questions that was always asked of me is like, where did you find these people? You know, like some like absurd question like that. So it is doable. It is possible. It's more about commitment and comfortability um, which a lot of businesses are not willing to be uncomfortable and the level of commitment doesn't often match with the need, right? Um, so I think those are, those are two really just general responses. Um, the other thing is this, I think there's been a lot of conversation about how do we just like increase numbers, so to speak, like, wouldn't it be awesome if, you know, Broken Arrow had x percentage of people at their trail race series but the question i think more so is about how do we make these spaces just feel more inviting right like i mean shit i've been in i I mean dude when i was doing triathlons i can pretty much guarantee you i was the only mexican dude in like in these races you know um and not like international mexican guy who grew up you know in cabo you know that, that my experience was not that you know, and, and I don't know that I would have felt more comfortable with like 25 other Mexican guys next to me. It just would have meant that the 26 of us would have been off in a corner by ourselves. You know what I mean? So, so the first thing I, I, I think that 
that there should be some conversation about is just how can these spaces be more comfortable? I was just up at Nike a while back. I think I was telling you this. I was there with other retailers. There was, my guess is more than 60, probably closer to 70 retailers in the room. And there was a moment when the Nike staff all got up on stage. Prior to that, the room looked kind of racially balanced. And then at one point, the person leading the conversation, leading the workshops, asked all the Nike staff to come up on stage so we can acknowledge them and thank them. As soon as they went up on stage, the entire floor, which was just retailers, run specialty retailers at that point, was nearly all white. I was the only person of color um, in that group. And immediately I did not feel comfortable or safe or recognized or any of that. And I wanted to like leave the room like immediately, you know? And I think we have like a really awesome store and a really awesome community and we're doing like, we're fighting like a good fight right now, you know? Um, and I didn't feel like any of that had value in that moment, right? So, so spaces need to be made to feel more comfortable. Definitely having more folks of color on staff is, is helpful. I also sympathize with like lower level staff that are usually the ones that are hired to be that like diversity checklist um, is one of the things. I'm kind of more old school, Matt. I think one of the solutions to these problems is that more folks of color, more BIPOC folks need to own more stuff. We need to own more run specialty shops. We need to own more apparel brands. We need to own more products. So if you, you know, go to TRE or if you go somewhere, there's more owners owning spaces, owning products that have a different experience than the traditional person because they're going to staff their staffs very differently. They're going to brand and tell their story very differently, right? Which sometimes if like company X goes from like 2% to 12% folks of color, people might applaud them and be like, whoa, that's like pretty awesome. You went from, you know, this to that. But, you know, I'm not sure how that changes what one's experience is really like out in the world, you know? Um, but I'll tell you, like when I've worked with folks and they come into the shop and they ask me, like, are you the owner? Then it's like a very different kind of interaction, you know? Um, and if I can just stay on this topic, one more thing, I just, I do want to say one other thing about having our physical spaces, you know, um, one of the things that happens has happened for centuries in this country, unfortunately, is when you want to dismantle a community, you take their physical spaces, right? What has happened to the black church as an example, when you threaten it, when you firebomb it, when you dismantle it, you disrupt the community, right? Or said differently, when you, when a black church is thriving, is building, is growing, it's doing a whole heck of a lot more than just delivering Sunday services. You go to any black church and there's like dozens and dozens and dozens of other things going on for that community, right? So a much more important conversation is how do we go about ownership differently? You know, so like, for example, if you're a big 
shoe manufacturer and you want to see the needle move rather maybe rather than it would be nice if it was a both and but maybe rather than if your dollars are limited why not help incubate other run specialty stores that are owned by people of color and see what kind of transformation that has in that community and with the people that it opens its doors to because i can guarantee you they'll do it better than I'm doing it. They'll do it in a totally different way than I'm doing it. They're going to do it in a way that serves their community, whether that's in Chicago, or Dallas or somewhere, you know, like they're going to have their own flavor and their own approach because they're connected and dialed into their community. And that's going to have a way more transformational, you know, um, impact on our communities, you know. So do you both think it, runners go ahead? No, both both runners that run and the surrounding community, the surrounding neighborhood. Do you think it's more of like a, a bottom up issue as opposed to a, a top down? Like how much culpability do you place on, um, I guess, like larger organizations and like larger running brands to kind of shift their marketing? Um, because I don't know, you look at any ad and it's usually pretty homogenous, you know, and it's mm -hmm. it's it's targeting a certain demographic that is generally not of color, at least in the trail world? Well, I would say a lot of that is changing. You know, sadly, there's, I, I, I know some of these folks and they're amazing, beautifully humans, you know, but I see some of the same people in very, in, in a lot of the same folks' ads, you know, and you can see how kind of how disingenuous that is, you know. Um, there, there's probably, a, we could, I mean, I don't want to call them out, but there's probably like people we can say on like one hand that you're like, oh, you're with this brand. And then like three months later, you're like, oh, you're with that brand. You know, because they're, they're in there like they're in a photo shoot or they're in Instagram or they got a small grant for, you know, company X or Y, which is awesome. They should get that, that they deserve it. That's great. I'm not saying don't do that. But, you know, like we have to have a way deeper conversation than that, you know, Um so I do see kind of a browning of some of the images in social media, on the landing page um, of their of their website, of their e-commerce. Um, but we need to have a way more critical conversation than, than that if the running shoe industry really wants to see a change um, in who participates in events. Um, at, as an example, where do you think that conversation starts? Well, I, I mean, I know that people are have started it. You know, I'm not I'm not trying to say I'm the new kid on the block and nothing has happened before me and I have all the answers. I know that, you know, the the um, I think was it RIDC, the folks that are doing, you know, having some of the conversations about racial equity. I know they're trying to change hiring practices of large corporations. That's awesome. That work is needed, you know, Um and that work has been going on like right at the start of COVID. I think a lot of those issues came up. Um, I know that some of these corporations have hired diversity and inclusion, you know, kind of higher ups that are that are trying to change the, the practices of how these businesses operate. So, again, I'm not at all saying that these conversations have not been going on. I know that they are going on. And I know that there are people that are working tirelessly around it. You know, Allison's book coming out about running while black, you know, she didn't decide to write that yesterday. That's, that's like something she's been working on and I'm sure has been working with and talking to people about uh, inequities and injustices forever, probably in her adult life. Um, so there are people that have been doing this work. Um, I think taking a step back, I, 
I don't know how much conversation has gone on around ownership, you know, because that's if that conversation has gone on, I don't know that that goes on as frequently as like DEI work goes on, you know. So I would love to see that sort of added to 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 the dialogue, you know, because that's a, that's a much more I think a, that's kind of a that's a whole other set of uh, of circumstances that will that would require ownership, you know. Uh, so, I mean, I, I don't want you to you know speak for everyone, but I I'm asking like personally, what can people not of color do to be like better allies, um, especially as it relates to like the running community. One of the first things that I I think um, that I love to see is making spaces for what I'll call like um, um, for 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 groups to have their own space, right? Like I love turning over our space to a to a group, right? Like to like when, when, when we do a women's run, when we do like um, black men run, they, they're going to start, they've been using, they just used our space. They're going to continue to use the space. Like we have to be able to like, just say like, we have to be comfortable with, with groups breaking out on their own and doing their own thing. We have to be okay with that. Um, so that's what I'm saying about like, for example, let's say you put on a trail race and you're really trying to get, you know, um, more diversity and you're doing all these things. I don't know. You're reaching out to certain crews. You're doing all this stuff. Can you go one step further and say, when you're up in Lake Tahoe or you're out in, you know, at, at you know, at um, Hard Rock or whatever, um, we're going to make the space available for all black men to go on a trail run together and no one else is allowed to go. Like, don't trip out. Don't, don't get mad. Don't feel like, why am I being left out? Like, it's okay to let folks have like that's a way to make the space start to shape differently i think that's just my own personal thing i think you know i appreciate i work more closely with white allies who don't personalize things right away right it's like having a conversation about something that is inequitable and not wanting the person across from me to say well i didn't do anything and I'm not responsible for that, you know, so, so just kind of just being, being comfortable with, you know, with silence, being comfortable with observing, being comfortable with, with, um, um, asking questions, you know, I think that's one of the first things that like white allies can do. I think that goes a long way. Um, giving up some power and asking, you know, like, you know, what would be awesome, Matt, is like maybe every third podcast you turn it over to like a guest podcaster let some indigenous woman just take it over and just fucking rip on the programming and let i mean who knows what set of questions they'll ask you know and you know don't feel like you're going to lose your job you know like that to me makes you like an elevated intellectual an elevated human you're like this is like the perfect venue to share with someone and you when you reach out to that indigenous woman or to that black woman and you're like no, nah, it's your show. Like you ask whatever you want. You invite anybody you want on the show, you know? And so giving up a little power like that starts to, you know, I think that starts to like differentiate you as like, yeah, I'm an ally. This isn't about just me like having 
one person of color every like 10th interviewee but like fuck man i got a tool here i have a commodity here i have a resource here how can i really share it with someone and give up some of this power you know yeah i don't know those are a couple of quick things just off the top of my head no i mean i think that's those were all like brilliant um and definitely something i think about quite a bit uh just like seeing um how yeah homogenous the trail space is in particular where do you see like renegade in five years oh man you know i'm thinking about that a lot right now um people have asked you know like renegade open up a shop here open up a shop there um i i've been i say this half jokingly and half serious that's kind of like a colonizer mentality right like why don't I franchise or go to this city and like plop a renegade running somewhere, you know? Um, I, that feels a lot to me. Like I know what Portland needs. I have all the information. I know everything come to me and like bow at my door or something. You know what I mean? That's kind of how it feels to me. So that does not interest me to do it that way. That feels really disingenuous. It contradicts everything I've been saying here, you know? Um, there are places that do feel like home. Like if I went back to San Jose, for example, that would probably feel fine. Cause I grew up in those neighborhoods. I know those streets and I feel comfortable building community there. Um, LA, I went to school in LA. I have family in LA and there's so many Mexicans down there. I kind of love always being down in LA. So that would be an amazing space also. But there are very few places where I would think about expanding to that way. One of the things I really want to do is get a van and go on the road and just spend time with people in their community and their space. And just like I was saying to you, Matt, I would love to just go and observe and listen and take note. Just because I'm a Mexican dude doesn't mean that like I have like the platinum card. I can just go anywhere and be an ass about like I know everything, you know, like I really want to go and see like and feel like how are folks doing things differently and 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 do the products that we carry, do they even make a difference really at the end of the day? And and what is what what is meaningful to people in other spaces? I, I want to feel it and see it, and I want to do it, you know, with some amount of humility that I can just like kind of just be honored and invited to be in those spaces, you know. So, if I can do that in the in the coming years and be a part of that, that before I think about another location, that would definitely be something that I would much rather. That excites me much more is to to kind of just go and and be a part of. And there's exciting things going on, man. There's some exciting... Crews, to me, are changing everything. And there's some amazing crews and some amazing people, way more interesting than me, that are out there doing, like, the grimy, grimy work, you know? And and they don't have a building or a facility and the resources, man. They're out there at, like, 9 o'clock at night and running at night so everybody can be safe running together. Like, how amazing is that, you know? So... I, I would be honored, man, to go and visit some of these crews and just go on the road and just participate and, and learn and, and you know, if, if invited, you know, like that would be something that I would like to see us doing. Can you shout some out for me? Um, I love the work that Peace Runners is doing in Chicago. I like what, of course, like what um, KRC is doing in L.A., Koreatown. Let's see. I wasn't prepared to be right on the spot. Um, the folks from... Um, um, good vibes in LA are also doing like amazing work. And those folks come up and say hi to me when they're around, um, when they're in town. 
those are a couple of quick ones. You know, of course, I love my boys Dromo in Mexico City and the work that they're doing out there. And that's sparked a lot of other crews and other connections with some folks down in Mexico City. Um, so those are, you know, of course, like, you know, um, you know, Black Roses out in New York is has set the benchmark really high um, for, you know, their activism and stuff like that. You know, the guys that are really exciting, um, I'm, I might get their name wrong, but they're um, protest, protest to run. Um, these boys are in New York. And I think if you read their Instagram, like their header, these guys, I think it says on their header, like running is their form of protest. And these boys set up running events and meetups and education around the injustices that are happening in their community, right? And they've been doing this work long before like crews were a thing, you know, like this is who these folks are as humans, you know, um, and they were athletes and they were active and they were just amazingly brought all that, all that uh, together. Um, and so those, those folks are super inspiring super inspiring to me right like um so those those are the kinds of things that i wish that if i was the owner man of a big ceo of like nike or somebody i would just be like i got to get all of those folks in the room and i just need to learn from them and i need to support their work and i need to like help them set the world on fire because they're already like you know they're already like a huge beacon in the community and they need more resources you know um yeah yeah you invited any one of these crews to some trail races and it changes the culture and dynamics and man it makes us all better it makes us all better it makes us all better and it's not that yeah like yeah it just makes everyone better man it just makes the experiences better i think running as a form of protest like kind of connects to your like concept of space and like holding space on a, a really interesting level i would love to to talk to to them at some point so I'm sure you get this question or you've gotten this question a lot, but like, where does the name Renegade come from? Oh man, when I, so I grew up in San Jose in, a, in this all Mexican neighborhood and um, we our our sports teams were like the thing. This is like, like in every, you know, in a lot of communities where they're under-resourced a little bit. If you, if you're fortunate enough to have like your football teams, which we had, um, that was a, that was the place where like, we didn't screw around. We didn't screw up. We were always on time. We worked hard. We pl I played Pop Warner football since I was really little. Um, and and the men that worked with us were loving. They were tough. They looked out for us. This is like, you know, like this still goes on today, man. You go to a, if you see a bunch of kids playing football on the field, you go up and talk to any person on that field that's working, adult, that's working with these kids and you will meet some some of the most amazing people in your life. Like these are guys that are like if they're driving down the street and they see one of these boys like doing something stupid, they'll like flip a U-turn and go and grab that kid by the neck and be like get your butt inside, you know. And they do that stuff today, you know. So those are the kinds of uh, adults I grew up around. The teams that we played on um, were called the Apaches, the Chiefs, the Aztecs and the Renegades. So those were the names of the teams we played that I played on. That always just stayed with me from when I was a kid and, and the, the, the kids that I grew up with and played uh, football with. Then when I had my charter schools, I was being interviewed for something. And one of the kids that was on this panel with me from my school um, heard me tell this story. And at the end of it said to me, we need to name our mascot the Renegades for my charter schools. 
so that became our mascot for my charter school. So, um, so our, you know, our, all of our sports teams were called the Renegades. So that was kind of like a, also a way to kind of connect and link my world of the past. Keeps me grounded, you know, it keeps me connected to like my history and my community. So that's where the name Renegade comes from. Um, long before I, like there were, you know, Rage Against the Machines song or, or reading Webster's Dictionary, that, that was not the intention at all. Like Renegade for me was like, that's my community. Those are the folks. That's my indigenous connection to my to my indigenous ancestors. Like that's what it was for me. You know. I think that's a great place uh, to end it today. Um, yeah. Thanks for coming on. Um, this was really valuable conversation uh, that I hope to have have again at some point. Where can people find Renegade? Because I know you guys do a lot of stuff like online on Instagram. Yeah, I want to give a shout out real quick to, you know, my business partner, Belota, to um, Alice and Sarah, um, Rebecca, like these folks, these folks are just as integral to making the community thrive um, as I am. You know, one person here is like, you know, carries all the weight. It's a great team. Um, Sarah creates a lot, all the content on our Instagram. She does a beautiful job of telling our story in pictures and in words. She's a phenomenal writer. Um, so our Instagram, I think, is renegade underscore running on Instagram. Um, our URL for our website is renegade-running.com. That's kind of where you can find us. Awesome. Thanks, Victor. Yeah, man. Thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate it. Thanks for reaching out. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Victor for the conversation. Thanks to Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from everyone here at Blister, please take good care of yourself, keep moving forward, and we'll talk to you again next week.